You're listening to GP Works, the podcast for and about general practice from the Irish College of General Practitioners. I'm Aileen O'Mara and in this episode I'm joined by GPs who played a significant role in the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr Mary Favier was the GP representative on NEFIT and COVID-19 advisor to the ICGP. Dr Nuala O'Connor is the outgoing clinical lead on COVID-19 with the college and Tony Cox was medical director when the pandemic began in March 2020. And Dr Dermot Quinnan is the current medical director of the ICGP. All are practising doctors with frontline experience of dealing with the pandemic in their own practices and in their own lives. Welcome to GP Works, everyone. Hi, Aileen. Thanks, Aileen. I should say first that we're recording this in April 2022 as the fifth wave of the pandemic recedes and a bit over two years since the country went into its first lockdown on the 24th of March 2020. So what's the legacy of this pandemic for general practice in Ireland and how did we do and what lessons can we learn from this experience? Tony Cox. Tony, I remember the last time we met in person at the trainers conference in Leash in mid-March 2020, just before the big lockdown. There was quite a crowd there, wasn't there? And Everybody was talking about the pandemic. Do you remember that? I do. And isn't it incredible to think that that was over two years ago um, that we actually that I haven't met you in person since that? Um, I do. I do remember very vividly, to be honest with you. We were all it was all a, a bit surreal, really. There was a big crowd there. It was the um, GP Trainers Conference. There always is a big attendance. But uh, I mean, the topic at the tip of everybody's tongue was really the, the COVID pandemic. You know, what was what did it mean? What were we going to do? We Up to even before that meeting, we weren't sure was it right to go ahead with that meeting. And we very much kind of knew that this was most likely going to be the last big gathering of GPs for a while. Little did we know that that for a while would be quite so long as it turned out to be. And did you know even then at that stage that the GPs were going to be at the forefront of the, you know, of the management of the pandemic? We Yeah, we knew our leaders, like public health was very much front and centre. You know, we really did depend on public health for their good advice. And so we, we organised, as you know, we organised a special session there and we and we recorded a podcast with that group afterwards as well. And that was and that was important, I think, um, that we got that information to all the GPs that were there. So public health were there. Ray Wally was there, you know, like he was playing a leading role with the IMO. Mary was there as well. Tom O'Dowd was there. And sure, the, the bowel Martin Cormican was there. I mean, who was, became the daddy of the pandemic for all of us GPs. He was such a sensible man. And uh, he was so important to be there as well, really. I, I remember being so surprised that he had so little to say because his messages were always clear and simple and straightforward. You know, like, I mean, infection control isn't rocket science. And, and he was very reassuring. So... It was a really, it was a really important meeting, and it was a really important podcast to record afterwards. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, Tony, what is your one outstanding memory of the pandemic? Well, I remember that day certainly for sure. But I, you know, I was thinking about this. The fear was the outstanding thing at the start. Really, that fear. I remember putting up a stop sign on our door after that meeting. You know, like me, like to, like that patients would stop and think, "Do I really need to go in here?" And and really, should we be having patients coming in? I remember being in the surgery with with, with our staff. You know, we came so close to our staff. We were always a very close knit practice, but we became even closer during the whole pandemic. You know, we had no vaccines. We like we didn't know how much we could trust the protection that. We we had, you know, the, the PPE that Nula was so good at getting us organised and trying to do it and do it right. You know, it's like it's all about protecting our staff, protecting the practice and doing the right thing by our patients. 
and and those early days kind of working towards getting open again you know and seeing patients face to face and how to do it safely so that fear was 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 an, was a big big memory for me and then quickly getting over that with the information that we got from all our experts you know like we had a wonderful team of clinical leads and Nula was a star throughout the whole thing and and as I say Martin Cormick and getting on our feet getting the confidence getting comfortable with our PP and getting open again and start getting back to doing some normal general practice. That's the big thing I remember, to be honest with you. And like I say, Nula was the star, but also there's a whole PPE set up named after you, Nula, isn't there? <laughs> there is, yeah. I might, that might be my leg, one of my legacies. The, the full Nula and the mini Nula will maybe forevermore how people learn about what type of PP they should use in different situations. But I suppose... You know, it's it's interesting listening to Tony there because I do remember that fear actually, Aileen. And and I I put down two outstanding memories, and one was the twelfth of March, twenty twenty, when the teacher clear of Radka addressed us from Washington, and it was the start of we're closing the schools, we're closing the crashes, you should work from home, and I think it was then that he thought, oh gosh. It's really happening. You know, we, we knew there were some cases in the country, but this was the real start. And I think there was huge fear then. And we really had to rapidly turn things around very much in the course of, of days, really, to, to redo how we did uh, general practice. And that fear that Tony talks about, that was in our practice. And it's what I felt when and very much when I was talking and trying to support my peers. But I, the other memory that really stands out for me was our first COVID vaccination clinic of our over 85 year olds on the 18th of February 2021. And the sheer joy and happiness and the just the incredible boost it gave to everybody because these people had been cocooning for a, a year and it was like gosh this is the step back to freedom and it just it, it's hard to describe how joyous an occasion and um, that was for all of the GP practice team and it was less than a year from as you say from the yeah. 12th of March 2020 yeah so really things really moved very very fast Mary can I bring you in here what what's your outstanding memory of the pandemic I I think the others have described it well uh, of initially it was the fear it was the 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 real concern about not understanding and seeing those images from Italy and military trucks and was this going to come to us and you know some of the early patients getting incredibly sick and ending up in hospital and us trying to as was already mentioned bring the staff together create a bond you know, we had we had little huddles every single morning trying to to keep everybody on board, make sure everybody was updated with all the latest information. And it was one of the privileges of being involved so much was that you did have the latest information and you could really use it to, to soothe and inform and, and keep everybody safe. And the other memory I have is, is indeed of that conference, Tony, meeting Professor Martin Cormican for the first time and, and having no idea how well we were going to know him over time and rely on him. I mean, what a fantastic individual. But then as the, as the Taoiseach made the announcement, getting the call from you, Aileen, that RTE wanted to do a live link talking you know, after the Taoiseach's you know, announcements and standing in the, my garden and me beforehand sort of saying, well, what am I going to wear? But then also, well, what am I going to say? And to, to my partner, Kevin said, say something reassuring, say that we'll be OK, say that we'll cope and dig deep into general practice and, and that general practice will will have a role and general practice will be there for the patients. And that became something of a theme. And 
so there was those early days where there was we were just all trying to do our best and we really wanted to help. I think that they're the memories. And I, I think you're underestimating what both New, you and Nuna did during those two years of reassuring people and also bringing general practice right into the centre of, you know, of the management of the pandemic, but also the management of the message to the public, which I think was very successful when you look at our you know, vaccination rates, when you look at how successful. I know a lot of people died, but it, Ireland stands out there as being as having a very successful vaccination rollout and bringing people along with them as a community. What about the collegiality in the college, Nula? You know, the, the webinars really took off, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, one of the things that we really learned from this is the importance of collegiality, of peer to peer support and the value of of having good communication networks. I mean, the WhatsApp groups, you know, uh, that were set up all around the local local areas, um, the webinars. And I mean, it's you know, the webinar started actually the first one started on um it was actually on Paddy's day and I got a phone call from Jacqueline Glisson, a GP in Castletown there, to say that she had a she had a license, a Zoom license for 500. And people were wondering, you know, could they, It was would I mind talking about some of the stuff, a lot of the guidance that we'd been sending out? And I said, sure, you know, they, 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 you know, nobody's, we were kind of locked down by, by, by then. And I said, absolutely no problem. And, you know, within an hour or two, she had 500 people and a waiting list. <laughs> and I think that's when we realized it was very off the cuff. I had a couple of slides and I, I just kept talking to people for an hour and 45 minutes answering the questions. And I think Tony, you were on then. And I think we saw, you know what, this is, this is a way that we can really use to communicate. And by the 1st of April, we started the official webinars and we were doing three a week at that stage. And it's amazing how two years later, now they're down to every two weeks. But we still have 12, 13, 1400 people. And I think we, we peaked at one with about 2000 online, which really, you know, it, 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 we've discovered a great way to deliver education and to support our members during any type of crisis. And it showed the flexibility and the innovations that were that were brought in very, very quickly when everybody's life was turned upside down. I mean, e-prescribing was another one. But I think the webinars will stay, won't they? Won't they, Mary? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's the plan. I think the hybrid learning, that, that ability to meet and greet GPs with such large numbers on a Wednesday evening at eight o'clock, I think the college would be very slow to lose that. And I think most members would, would like to keep it in some fashion. It needs to work hand in hand with CME, which is, is a different type of education and very much more needs to be in person in terms of that peer group support. But yes, I think it's been proven that that is a really fantastic way of relaying informa- information in a timely fashion up to date. And it has most interesting support role. I got a huge amount of feedback about how supportive it was to hear the chit chat for the 10 minutes before the webinar started. Often just quite lighthearted, reflecting on stories, trying to remember that you were being viewed by so many people beforehand and therefore, you know, don't say anything controversial. But there was a really strong sense of that it was important that that we we recognised we were all in it together. So I would absolutely think that we'll continue there. They were also a fantastic platform for other people to attend. 
um, and other people were incredibly generous with their time, public health specialists in particular. But we had everybody from the, the likes of Tony Houlton and, and Ronan Glynn and Philip Nolan and Colm Henry, but through to a significant number of politicians. And it was a very much coveted spot in terms of, of sharing messages. And we were very appreciative of it because it really helped deliver those messages. Mary, in a recent article you wrote for Forum, you said that general practice came of age and stepped up. What do you mean by that? I think we've, to a certain extent, been the Cinderella's of the health services. We've always been very much people who got, got on with it. We just provided, you know, 95% of, of clinical interactions in any year are provided in general practice. You know, it's 27 million consultations, huge amounts of, of clinical care being delivered uh, and not with a lot of bells and whistles and not, not with a lot of, of fanfare. And I think... It, we knew that, but I think two things happened. I think that those in the HSE and the Department of Health realised not just the volume of work we were doing, but how quickly we could adapt and innovate and how agile we were. There was very little we weren't prepared to try and fix and sort out and deliver if we could at all. And so I think that was a significant change. But I also think in the, in the public eye, I think that people's understanding and knowledge of general practice was different. And people, I think, felt bonded to their GPs. So when they heard the likes of myself, Nula or Tony, whoever happened to be on the radio, they thought of their own GP and they thought of their relationship there. And I think they valued it. And I think there, there's there's a lot of very you know, important positives that are coming out of that. And I think we've formed such so much improved relationships with the HSE and the Department of Health in terms of working relationships, that that can only be a thing that's positive into the future. And will it will it continue, do you think? I would absolutely expect so. I think we've all learned a lot. I think as GPs, we might have been somewhat you know, cynical about the HSE, or for instance, and, and wary. And I think, to be fair, they were probably somewhat wary of us too, because we wouldn't have always had the most trusting of relationships. And so much of that has changed. It's been built on really good uh, work relationships, really much environments of everybody was in it to just try and solve the problems, you know, improve patient care. And I think we, we will hold on to that. And I think that we know that even if we get into tough times in the future, trying to sort issues out, we can return to that goodwill knowing it exists. Uh, so I think it will continue. Nula, what do you think is the legacy of the pandemic for general practice and the health service, and particularly in relation to infection control, which I know is one of your big areas of interest? I think that we will be moving forward with a much greater awareness of the risk of infectious disease and particularly about respiratory disease, which I I don't think we ever really paid too much attention to uh, prior to the pandemic. And I think you know, we will never have, I hope, have a healthcare service, and I mean right across the healthcare service from vulnerable patients in our communities, um, our general practice teams, our nursing homes, our public, public health nurses delivering care in the community to our hospitals, where they won't actually have the proper PPE, you know, the proper infection prevention control materials that they need and be educated properly, and that the country will never be left not having enough of that moving forward. Because... That is, I suppose, one of the things with the pandemic, we do know that our nursing homes in particular, COVID got in there in in a manner that it, it, with hindsight, some of it could have been prevented. So I think that's one of the one of the big things moving forward. I also would echo what Mary said, is that we've really learned the value of 
multidisciplinary interagency uh, teamwork and how if we really want to solve our healthcare issues, we can only do so if we all work together for the patient good. The one other, other thing is that we know that we need better community surveillance systems to track infectious disease in the community. And we know from the pandemic that GPs can be that early warning system from the work of the GP body COVID tracker and also our GP Sentinel practice network. And I think that's a real thing that we need to take into the future. And I hope uh, we know the plan is to strengthen those surveillance systems. And I really hope that that is something that will happen. Thanks, Nuala. And Tony, I know you ha- you're you in Clare, maybe in a small, small enough practice. Do you now still do any video consultations or telephone consultations or is everybody coming into you in person? I suppose just thinking of the legacy in my own practice, when they look around my own practice, I'm in Ennis. Yeah, it, it's a medium sized practice, myself and my wife, Denise, and we have a GP trainee as well. It's, it's changed quite a bit. We don't do the open surgery. I used to have a dreaded open surgery in the morning where you come in the morning and the place would be full before you even start and was still full at lunchtime. Uh, it's all appointments now. And, and much, so that's a great benefit from us and, and our patients appreciate it as well because they hated waiting in that packed waiting room. You've you've uh, you've uh, mentioned the email prescriptions. Sure, that's a wonderful thing. We've got rid of those clunky, noisy beasts of um, dot matrix printers in the corner of our rooms and kicked them out ceremonially. But phone consultations, as you ask, yeah, like that's uh, that's a legacy. We're doing an awful lot of phone consultations. I, I never really got stuck into the video consultations. Was never particularly comfortable. Did offer them for a little while, but we do an awful lot of phone consultations. That is a legacy that. It's hard to shake off. So uh, we're back seeing as many patients as we ever saw. We're back doing normal general practice. We're back picking up stuff that maybe, you know, there's a lot of people coming in who haven't had a blood test for two years, uh, picking up some sad things that maybe could have been picked up a little bit earlier. That's a, that's a sad legacy really, isn't it, you know? But, you know, like that, that is a pity. And I suppose, you know, the legacy nationally and those, you know, the waiting list have got a bit longer. A lot of good things, you know, it's great to have those that access to diagnostics that, you know, like the, the HSE, in, in fairness, have been very good at many, many things. And uh, we, we actually have access to diagnostics that we never had before. There's so much more we can do for our patients now that we couldn't do before. And, and just it's brought us all closer together. Our, our patients understand how we work and we understand how they work. And everybody is just much more close together and close knit and if we weren't already a close-knit practice, we are even more so now afterwards, having gone through organising all those vaccination clinics and providing care through those difficult times. Dr. Jim Quinlan, you're the medical director of the college now. Looking back over the past two years and looking at where we're, we're sitting at this stage, uh, that backlog, isn't it? The backlog of care for people who didn't come into general practice during the pandemic. That must be one of the big worries for GPs now, is it? Absolutely. There is a very substantial backlog of delayed and misdiagnosis for lots of reasons, partly with the, you know, general practice was was very busy with managing acute COVID and the vaccinations. And lots of people, particularly older people, very appropriately were concerned about coming out and, and engaging with their GPs. But the the sad reality is that inevitably there will be a delay and, and a missed diagnosis and they both impact on patient care and patient well-being. And the data is coming through internationally showing the consequences in terms of delayed and misdiagnosis across a range, particularly of cancers, where people simply 
either ignored symptoms or were too afraid to contact their doctors or services that should have been available to them right across our health sector simply weren't available. So I think that will be something that, you know, will stay with our health service for several years to come. And what's your big memory from the past two years, the one memory you have? I, I suppose if, if I can take the liberty of having two, in the very early stages, there was, I would say, a palpable sense of fear of the unknown, that we really didn't know how how, how this would affect, you know, our patients, ourselves, and, you know, the need that, that we needed to be available and continue to provide care and set up uh, COVID assessments for people. And the longer term really is the trauma that people experience during hospitalization for seriously ill people and bereavement during the pandemic lockdowns that, you know, people's loved ones when they were in hospital and seriously ill and died, that their family and friends weren't able to be with them. And, you know, in funerals that people, their numbers were severely limited, which caused very additional substantial long-standing trauma to all concerned. And certainly in my area, I remember you know, people standing by the roadside as a hearse passed as a mark of respect, but that was as far as they could go. So I think the that was a very deep trauma to people at a time when they really needed the support of family, friends and community. And unfortunately, it, it was very limited. And also a lot of older people died, didn't they, in the pandemic? A lot of older people died and uh, nursing homes particularly bore the brunt of the pandemic for lots of reasons, but especially because, you know, you had a very vulnerable population living in congregated settings. And again, you know, we had uh, family members doing window visits of necessity, but again, causing a lot of upset both to the residents of, of the nursing homes, but also their family members and also the staff working in these facilities. Nula earlier, you know, referred to the the great day, the great day of joy when the vaccines were starting to be given out to people in, in, in Cork and her practice. And I think that will be one of the big legacies that people will remember, the impact of the vaccines and also how quickly science came together and brought those vaccines together. Wouldn't that be true, Nula? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. And and it's down to the, the new technology. We were very lucky that the mRNA technology had already been um, substantially developed and it allows them to to develop new vaccines much faster. And actually, it was one of the things I had put down um, was uh, people understanding and the re- the renewed understanding of the importance of vaccination and how vulnerable the whole world is when it has no immunity against something. And while we rely on the science to actually find that vaccine, be able to produce that vaccine in sufficient quantities and, you know, the incredible chain of events that needs to go to create that and then have the supply chains, the delivery and administer vaccines to whole populations it's incredible, really, that it, it, it happens uh, so fast. And I think sometimes, you know, the world forgets how much vaccination has actually, how many lives it has saved, even pre-COVID. You know, all of the huge vaccination programmes that wiped out a lot of diseases that killed many children in, in, in previous years. So I think it's given us a renewed respect for vaccination. Mary, do you want to come in there on that? Yeah, I think I think vaccination was one of those absolute milestones for us. And 
GPs have delivered vaccines always in the sense of childhood or whether it's flu or other other programs. But I think this was this was different. And I think the the, the population understood the, the role of general practice. And we we delivered, you know, over half of them in some of the circumstances of the original campaigns and in booster. So it was a phenomenal contribution by by every GP, effectively, there was hardly a practice that that didn't contribute to the, to the vaccinations. And I still remember that this, the nervous trepidation as we made up the first files and we treated them with absolute kid gloves and we didn't move them or shake them or walk from one room to the other with them. So it was it was a proud it was a proud time to be involved. I think I think the other big role that we had was in advocating for vaccination, and there was something about the GP voice that re, that the you know, people listening to us understood and really got, and you know, and it's an important role I think in the future for 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 whether it's public health or for public advice campaigns that GPs are used to 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 deliver that message because I think it is a trusted message and one that was successful. Well, on that note, I'm going to leave it because I know we could discuss this for far longer and I know that there will still be lots more said about the topic as we hopefully put it behind us. Thanks to Dr Mary Favier, Dr Neil O'Connor, Dr Dermot Quinlan and Dr Tony Cox for joining me on this episode of GP Works. We're publishing new episodes on a regular basis, so be sure to subscribe and let your friends know. You can follow the ICGP on Twitter at ICGP News and find out more about the ICGP on its website, icgp.ie. I'm Aileen O'Mara and thanks for listening. Thank you.